The music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 20 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery after-party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me, as always, is my favorite Gorn and my favorite Jeff, my co-host, Jeff Hewlett. How are you? I am doing quite well, Heather. I'm sitting here eating my blueberries. Oh, that's a good one. Good one, good one. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the podcast, we're a community-based Star Trek discotheque of sorts, focusing on each episode of Discovery as they air. And now that we are post-season, we are doing character deep dives. Tonight, we'll be taking a deep dive into discussing the first Kelpian in Starfleet, Commander Saru. With us to talk about the episode are two members of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook, which is the exclusive gateway to gain admission onto the show. Um, our first guest, Kirk Bayman, will actually be joining us in a little bit, but one of our favorites is here. She was in episode seven of Disco Trek, which covered episode eight of Discovery, the Saru episode, Siwi's Pacum Parabellum. Welcome back, Shannon Favre. Hi, how are you doing tonight? I'm happy. I'm happy to talk to a fellow Kentuckian, although I guess I'm a Colorado now, but... No, uh, you will always claim you. You can come back. It's okay. It's true. It's true. Once a Kentucky girl, always a Kentucky girl. Well, yeah. we are super excited to have you back to talk about Saru. Uh, Kirk will pop in here in a little bit, um, but before we do that, we have some things to talk about. Um, I'm really bad tonight. Okay, as we mentioned, Disco Trek is community-focused and evolved from our desire to give fans in our convention community a way to talk about Star Trek Discovery. So, now that we have moved from weekly to about bi-monthly, keep an eye out for a post in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. It'll pop up with the Disco Trek image and information on the following week's recording time. Just comment on that post to be entered and we'll use a random generator to pick two winners the following Saturday. Once you've been on the podcast, you can come back now as long as it wasn't... The week previous, we are open to having people join us again. Um, in the meantime, there are other ways to be part of the discussion. Jeff, do you want to tell people how to do that? Absolutely. If you would like to be a part of the show and you're not actually on it, you can leave us a voicemail at 609-512-LLAP or 5527 uh, if you want the actual numbers. Or you can leave a post uh, in our thread about the show and we can read it on the air and i think we will can also take submissions from twitter right yeah at yeah, disco underscore us. trek yeah totally um we'd, we'd love to get some twitter shout outs to talk about that would be super awesome mm -hmm. okay another really awesome thing we've had some growth in our patreon community oh yes um it's been really awesome to see all the new faces join our Patreon family. Jeff, I think you've got some names to shout out. I certainly do. Uh, so we've got quite a few shout outs to do. We've got uh, Laz Marquez, uh, a gentleman by the name of just Chris. Thank you. Sam Greenwood and Rick Everson are our brand new patrons. And a big special thank you to Annie Munoz for increasing her pledge level. That was pretty cool, too. So Yay. if you are interested in also becoming a Patreon patron of our show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions or by visiting our website, the tricorder transmissions.com and clicking on the Patreon link on the right hand side. So if you enjoy what we do here at Disco Trek or any of our other tricorder transmission shows, please think about joining our Patreon family. There are quite a few benefits now and we're adding more and more. So becoming a patron will give you instant access to tons of our unedited episodes that go live uh, after we record them and before they're released to the general public. And we also have some early access uh, episodes that are being posted from Trek Ranks, which is really cool, uh, often with some bonus material for the patrons exclusively. And uh, we're also hosting our first Patreon-exclusive 
chat hangout uh, coming up on June 14th. So keep an eye out for that. If you are a Patreon supporter, you'll be getting a message very soon about how you can attend. And finally, I would be remiss if I did not mention our brand new exclusive Patreon button that is available for you if you are a patron of the show at any level you are entitled to have one so our first batch has already gone out and has been received by quite a few of our patrons so if you have not gotten yours yet or if you're a new patron send us a note on patreon and we'll be more than happy to send you our super cool awesome patreon exclusive button yeah it was really cool seeing all the selfies with the pin. I loved it. Oh, yeah. So thank you to everyone who took a picture and shouted out on Twitter, Facebook, and everywhere else. Yeah, super cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. It's time to talk about Discovery. But please keep in mind that moving forward, there will be spoilers. If you haven't watched season one of Discovery, what are you doing here? <laughs> Go watch it. And then come back and join us because we don't want to ruin this wonderful wow. show. Who or hasn't you. watched it yet? My goodness. I well, some people, I, I guess. I have people that haven't watched it yet. <laughs> wow. Well, I think you're beyond the spoiler cap if you yeah. haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I'd say so, but I feel like I still have to say it. Um, generally, our show is segmented into three parts: drop the record, play a new track, and spin it again. We're throwing that out the window. <laughs> This time, um, we're going to have an organic discussion about Saru and uh, hope that you will enjoy us. So let's go ahead and talk about our first reaction. So Saru is the first Kelpian in Starfleet. He is played by Doug Jones, who I think we are just blessed and honored to have working on Star Trek. Um I don't even know what to say. Like Saru is such an interesting character. It's it's a it was so neat having an alien that we'd never seen. It took some getting used to for me. Um, but Shannon, how how did you feel about Saru? Like, did your opinion change over the season? Oh, it definitely did. Because at the beginning, I didn't really I couldn't get a feel on him because he was so, you know, unemotional. Which is funny because Doug Jones is not. But his character just didn't come off. Like he was so structured that I couldn't get a read on him. And it wasn't until he started, you know, expressing himself more and going into when he was, you know, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, at first I couldn't get a read on him. And I know his ganglia doesn't seem to work very well, though. Doesn't <laughs> give him actual threat. <laughs> it took some time to figure out what the threat ganglia were yes. and how they worked, <laughs> for sure. So true. Jeff, what about you? Well, um, I guess Saru for me wasn't the most prominent character, I guess, but I found his overall arc across the season to be one of the more interesting ones uh, for me. So I guess after learning the backstory of the Kelpian race early on and the, as Shannon mentioned, the threat ganglia, which I initially thought were a bit on the corny side, they started to make a little bit more sense. Uh, you know, of course, after being, you know, preyed upon, uh, they would evolve a natural uh, defense mechanism. So it, it did make a lot more sense after learning uh, about the species as a whole. And speaking of Kelpians themselves, I think seeing some of Saru's physical abilities uh, in the episode that only Heather can pronounce now, <laughs> I still can't <laughs> pronounce the Parabellum episode properly, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was surprised they didn't make more use of that enhanced speed and strength that we saw um, and they kind of reminded me a lot of the Vulcan attributes in a way, um, you know, kind of that quiet under the surface stuff that just kind of lurks there and comes out when it needs to. But overall, I'd say Saru surprised me a bit, and I'm kind of glad that he did. He went from a character I was excited about before Discovery premiered uh, to a character I was kind of skeptical of, and then to a character I was kind of proud of at the end of the arc. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, yeah, and that, like, I think we were all, like, excited. Like, if you know who Doug Jones is, like, how could you not be excited? Um, oh, totally. So, yeah. you know, knowing that this this amazing character actor was going to be on Discovery, uh, seeing the makeup, which a lot of people seem to 
not be totally into in the beginning. I thought this makeup was just phenomenal. Like I I never, yeah, I, I never really looked at it like, Oh, that's makeup. Um, Right. Now, did you see see the pictures of what it was going to look like originally? (laughs) That would have creeped me out. Yeah, completely. It looked like a giant spider to me. Yeah. What is what is the the condition yeah, like, with the whole when you're afraid of the whole? Oh, the trip. My trypophobia was going off like crazy when I saw those pictures. I couldn't even look at them. I had to. I had to click the website off. It was just too creepy. It got me super creeped out. So it's like a condition where pictures or things with lots of holes just instigates like the creepy crawlies in you i guess is a good way to say it yeah the scientific explanation is it's it's a like an auto automatic um neurological response to pestilence so Mm -hmm. something they hearken back to you know plague days where sores and things were prominent and you know you would see them and get creeped out by them and naturally avoid them because it's your threat ganglia going off then (laughs) <laughs> exactly it's like threat ganglia true good point mm-hmm. thank you and yeah. it just reminded me of a spider and that would have creeped me out because i'm a big spider person so. with all the it eyes was, it was a lot it was a lot to take yeah. in but uh you know by the time this episode comes out you should still be able to find um it was a, there was a live stream that was on mm-hmm. i think the star trek discovery main facebook page i have not mm-hmm. watched it i will be frank about that but it has, I think, Neville Page and Glenn Hetrick, mm-hmm. along with some others, and they show, they do the full makeup to show what mm-hmm. Saru would have looked like, and we all agree here that that would have been mm-hmm. bad. Uh, so, so we got a makeup that I think was uh, just really neat, and I think because of like the 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 not the prominence, but. You could see his eyes so well. Like I still felt that he could express himself pretty well through the makeup. Um, and a lot like Mary Shifo with Laurel. Like I just, mm-hmm. I got a lot from like his eyes and how he acted with his eyes uh, as far as that goes. But I agree with Shannon, like in the beginning, well, and I guess with you too, Jeff, like in the beginning, <laughs> as we were getting to know him, I was, I was intrigued, but I wasn't quite sure and a big part of it was that I don't understand what it is to like have lived a life in fear all of the time. Uh, as anyone who's watched the show knows, um, you know, Kelpians come from a planet where one is the hunter and one is the hunted. And uh, Saru's race is the one that is the prey and is hunted. So he lives in this constant state of fear and anxiety uh, from the moment of birth. So I am really excited. Like, side note, there is a book coming out on my birthday next nice. week um, by James Swallow. And I should know the actual title in front of me. Um, yeah. So the book is called Fear Itself. And again, it's by James Swallow. And it will be about Saru. So I'm hoping that this book helps fill in the blanks uh, that we didn't get from the series because there just wasn't a lot. And when uh, the, you know, Siwi's Pakum Parabellum was announced as being a Saru episode, I thought, oh, we're going to actually learn about the Kelpians and the other race on their planet and more about Saru's history. And that's didn't really happen um although i will say this and i kind of thought i would talk about this um quite a bit later but you know as i said i i had never been in a position where i lived in fear to the point that that saru did uh never feared for my life or anything like that. And, you know, I still, I still haven't spent a lifetime in, in fear, but, um, you know, in the past six months, my life changed and my former partner put me in a position where I have now, um, been afraid for my safety and suffering severe anxiety to the point that I needed medication. It is, terrifying and an awful thing and one thing I'd like to talk about in more depth um, is 
how the character of Saru can kind of be a metaphor for uh, people with anxiety, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll push that away a little bit because I just wanted to say that now that I've been through what I've been through, I think that Siwis Parampakabellum actually did teach us about Saru. It may not be like the same deep dive character episodes that we've gotten in previous series of Star Trek, but I completely understand now how he felt when the Pavins gave him that piece. Uh, because, you know, when you're living in a constant state of anxiety, you have no control. Uh, there's no control over anything. And it really is like you're looking over your shoulder all of the time. Uh, when, when you find a place where you have five minutes of peace or just, you know, a period where you're able to get back some of that control, it's, it's an empowering feeling. And, you know, for Saru, this was somewhat temporary because it was the Pavins, you know, assisting with, with the situation. Um, but I understand it now. And mm -hmm. it's even more really kind of heartbreaking for Saru um, that he had that clarity. And I mean, given, you know, he was on the planet and it was the noise of the planet that was part of what was causing his distress. So now that he's off the planet, he's not experiencing that distress, but he still has this lifetime of fear and anxiety behind him. Right. And I think that's actually the episode where I thought that my opinion of him changed because, because he was in a state of constant hypervigilance, which you're talking about people are aware of what's going on all the time because they're so, because they're afraid of like, things coming at them all the time and so I think when he did that and experienced peace and had explained what was going on that's when my opinion of him started to change because you could see more of him because before he was so rigid and we didn't know anything about him so it's harder to get a read on his character but after that you could see like the you know not the person because that's you know humanistic but the character underneath that he mm -hmm. was absolutely true yep since we're talking about semi-personal stuff, um, you know, as someone who's had a nervous breakdown and, and lived in uh, a constant state of stress, not not currently, but but not in the, in the recent past, um, you know, I would have given anything for that sense of peace in that time in my life and not had to suffer that because it's, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. So I think that episode, you're right, Heather, taught you, it taught us a lot about Saru, but in a subtle way, not an outright way, the way that you had to really, really watch and understand and, and observe his character and the changes that he went through. Yeah, it's not quite the, like, here's a morality tale. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> not not that kind of episode, right. but um, it's, it's dismissed just because so many fans had this expectation that that's what it would be. And as we've learned, that's, that's not what season one was about. Um, they've said that season two will have some more focused character deep dive type episodes, which will be great. Um, but this, this wasn't quite it, but uh, it, you know, it's just my, my life experience watching Discovery um, changed from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I was in one place in life in the beginning and a completely different place in life at the end. And I'm only now just getting to a period where um, I'm not living with that anxiety every day. And I just, I can't even express like now that I know, now that I really know what it feels like, I just feel so terrible for anyone out there that experiences anxiety um, at at that level. Um, but I, I've heard overwhelmingly that people people who do have anxiety issues um, identified with Saru mm, for sure. Uh, through, yeah, throughout the the series. But yeah, after Siwi's Pacum Parabellum. Um, he started to, you know, he was taking leadership roles. He was, mm -hmm. you know, become, you know, serving as captain on the ship and, and really coming into that captain role. And I would like to think that, you know, that the brief moment of clarity that he got uh, helped him find that confidence. So I think one of the other things I'm, I'm interested in exploring 
is Saru's relationship with the various characters on the ship, um, because he does have interactions with everyone throughout the series. But for me, I think that the most powerful relationship is with Michael Burnham. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if either of you had any thoughts about that. Well, I like that it went kind of full circle, um, you know, early on, they have a, a, a good professional relationship and a kind of a friendship and it falls apart for a while and they have to, you know, Saru has to regain um, his, his uh, feelings for her and his, and find their places, uh, you know, in Starfleet throughout the horrific events that they are subjected to. Um, and I think, I think it's great that they, that he finds that respect for her again and that they, at the, by the time the end of the, the uh, season happens, you know, they're in a maybe even a better place than they were previously. Yeah, because at the end, he's talking to her like a person. Because when he's telling her to go talk to, you know, I can't believe I saw his name, Ash. Because <laughs> I was just yeah. watching the episode. Yeah. I mean, I just watched the episode just a minute before you called. But um, so then he told her to go talk to Ash, and she's like, well, is that an order? He's like, no, he's, he was just trying to do it as a friend. He wants to make sure everybody's okay on his ship, which we wouldn't have seen before. He's just worried about being a good captain at the beginning. Right, yeah. evolving as a leader, yeah. Yeah, oh, so, okay, was it, yeah, was that context is for, can I feel terrible? I should know what it is. Yeah, no, um, the one we got captured was, yes, because that was okay. the whole, the line at the end of it was that. Okay, yeah, where he, you know, he went in to to check, like, to evaluate what, you know, what are the, the top five captains, and right. uh, then by the end of it, and that was a really interesting moment because, you know, he says, I know what I did. Like he stops, he stops the computer from mm -hmm. doing the evaluation basically. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the one, isn't this the one where they, because I, yeah. I remember wondering like, is it that he, he knew what he did, that he had confidence in his leadership or that he didn't? Well, I, I, I took it as the fact that he realized that there's no, set of parameters for what's a good captain you have to do it as you do it because every captain is different yeah that's true you can take some lessons and and learn from some of their actions but until you're in those situations you know you don't have the chance to do a lot of the same things now i have to say what my favorite scene all year or all season was the we are starfleet speech that was the best yeah. thing ever mm -hmm. in all season. that moment and uh, so what I, I went back and I wrote it down like word for word yeah. um, because that it, it's not just the writing, like the writing for it is good. Like it's, it's really, it's really not like some mind blowing speech. Like it's the, the writing behind it is pretty simple. Um, Ted Carter Hall, I think is the one that wrote it. But at this point in the season, like we're still waiting, like the crew has come together here and there Um but we're, I think we're all just still waiting for them to like really, really bond. Jill. Yeah, Jill. And that that entire scene, because they're they focus on all of them when he's talking, mm -hmm. they're all rooting to go. Um, and I think at that moment is where Saru like really becomes captain. Um, it is well known that my species has the ability to sense the coming of death. I do not sense it today. I may not have all the answers. However, I do know that I am surrounded by a team I trust. Ah! <laughs> ah, the finest the captain could ever hope to command. Lorca abused our idealism and make no mistake. Discovery is no longer Lorca's. She is ours. And today will be her maiden voyage. We have a duty to perform and we will not accept a no-win scenario. You have your orders on your way. <laughs> Yes, I love the no-win scenario reference, by the way. Yes, I, yes. Think, I think I punched the air <laughs> when that <laughs> happened. Um, it, it really was just such a great moment. And I think it's even more impactful, like for as simple as a speech that it was, to have that much of an effect was just really, really awesome. Well, I actually met Doug Jones once at a convention here in Kentucky. He was in the booth next to me. Of course, nobody knows who he looks like because of his makeup. Yeah. <laughs> but he, there's this person that came in full, and I don't know the character, but the, the character was like eight feet tall with the wings and stuff, and he actually managed to get it in there. 
And Doug Jones was so excited. It was stand next to him, take on his pictures because he would see that that was the best thing ever. Like, he appreciates his fans, which is always fun for us. <laughs> yeah, he did um, an interview. He was in, I think it was Kansas City, Kansas City Comic Con or something with the guys over on the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, they were able to do a, an in, in-person interview with him there. And he just, he really seems like the nicest guy. Uh, and I met, he was at a local, he was like Rocky Mountain convention or something. And I had no idea or I would have gone. Well, I mean, I was, at, I was working security for actually Michael Dorn at the convention that Doug Jones was at here. That was like before, you know, Discovery, like four years ago. He's like the next booth and I knew who he was, but I didn't know who he was without the pictures behind him because I didn't, because the characters don't look like him, obviously. But yeah, he interacted with every single fan. He spent time talking to everybody. I've actually written articles about how Starfleet's like interacted with my timeline, like the marriage equality case and other stuff that's mm-hmm. going on. And I'm like, for me, there's certain periods like, oh, this is a Star Trek thing. This is a Star Trek thing because, you know, like I did Michael Dorn security the weekend that we, when they ruled on our case in the Sixth Circuit, you know, and before we went to the Supreme Court. So things like that, like it interacts with my, my personal life all the time. And I think that's awesome. And I got to meet uh, my clients who worked it out. So I got to meet George and Broad on the cruise. Oh, they had, they had me for private. They had to prep me for private lunch, which is awesome. I'm going to try to do the cruise in 2020. I think, I think by then I, hopefully my finances will have recovered. Um, I wasn't going to go because, you know, you, you know, there's only so much time I can leave my kids too with my friends. But um, it, the, the, since they made two cruises and they couldn't sell a ticket, it was $300 when I went. And you can't not go for $300. Yeah. And that won't happen again because that was since no, they did the, two, right. the two different ones. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting because a lot of people, especially I, I went through some articles just doing some research about Screw. And a lot of people refer to him as being the Spock or the data of discovery. But we've, we've kind of had this discussion before and like, I, I kind of feel like all of them <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're all kind of misfits and outcasts. I feel like almost right. every character is a Spock or a data in some way. Uh, because even with Michael Burnham, you know, My- Michael Burnham is the, is the human raised on Vulcan. So she's, she's kind of yeah, like her entire life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, she's, she's kind of that, that way. Um, and I, I just find it interesting when pairing the two of them together, uh, that they're, they're both different in that way. And I think that is part of their bond. Um, but I think the, defining moment for their friendship with me was when Burnham was in the mirror universe and had the Kelpian that was basically through serving Mm -hmm. her. And, you know, she didn't want to tell Saru. She didn't want to tell them that. And, you know, that, even though she may not have been being honest with him, she was, she was protecting him. Uh, And same with not, telling Burnham about Colbert's death. Um, you know, Saru knew that she had a mission to focus on and that that would be so distracting. So even though they were withholding information from each other, they were still protecting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. It was nice to see the relationship come full circle. Uh, even in the, the fact that now, you know, Saru is, is, is above Burnham. So their roles have reversed a little bit, but there's that, that mutual respect um, that they've got and a rebuilding of trust. And so I'm eager to see what their relationship is like in season two. So from another site in the alpha quadrant, Kirk Bayman has joined us. So welcome. So let's move on to the next subject that we had to talk about, which was um, how Saru resonates with us. Um, Jeff, do you want to lead us off on this one? Oh, wow. Sure. Um, so I guess uh, we, we often get personal here on Disco Trek. So I guess uh, it's, it's not alien territory. Get it? So uh, 
I guess it was about 11 years ago or so, I went through a, a pretty major life change. And um, I, I learned a lot of things about myself and life during that change and kind of came out a bit of a different person. And I've been on a kind of a bit of a personal journey since then to try to, you know, grow and improve. But, you know, he stumbles along the way and kind of setbacks along the way. But, you know, Saru's growth arc across the the season was something that kind of resonated with me because it was something that I had been personally going through. And I guess, you know, we meet him very early on. He's very meek. He's very timid. He's very held back by his past and, you know, the conditions that his race was subjected to. And it was kind of a standout to me that that what he wanted at the beginning of the series, you know, to serve under a great mentor and, and ascend into a command role uh, led him to having to evolve into that role, um, you know, himself relying on his own strength and, and the support of the crew that he was working with on the discovery. And he achieved that goal despite everything that was stacked against him. And he wound up coming out shining uh, at the end. I think a lot of us would agree with that. He really evolved into something far more than what we may have thought he could have at the beginning. And I found that kind of inspirational and um, kind of a, a really, you know, quote unquote, Star Trek thing uh, for me in season one. So I guess there was a, a bit more of a personal aspect to him that that really resonated with me. I feel like his ascension to acting captain, uh, I think everyone was really happy with that. Oh, yeah. Because we were all like, well, isn't Saru going to be the captain? Like, <laughs> I'm going to be sad when he's not. going to be the captain. With the the promo, the little promo teaser video that came out a few weeks ago, it looked like Saru might have some captain's insignia. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I have no idea what to expect from season two. Um, but if Saru winds up being captain, that will make me and many, many, many others happy. Would make me yes, I don't think they're going to do that right away, though. I think they're going to have something else going on first and then make him captain later. Yep. Um, so, Shannon, what about you? Did uh, Saru resonate on a personal level with you at all? He did. As Like I said earlier, the, the threat gangplay, actually, I thought, was interesting because it sometimes it reacted when there wasn't a threat and it didn't react when there was a threat like Lorca. So I think that's like people sometimes don't know what what's bad for them and what isn't. And so he managed to go past what his instincts were as a, as prey and evolved into the best version of himself. You know, he was still scared. He still had all these things from being the prey, but he managed to you know, inspire the crew and get them going forward. And I just think that that is what we all aspire to. Mm -hmm. I just had an awakening here mm -hmm. um, on that note, because, you know, I, you know, like I said, I already kind of talked about um, mm -hmm. my personal experience. Um, if you've listened to Disco Trek, you've, you've heard more details of my story. So hopefully mm -hmm. you know what's going on, but um, anyway, I, I've had those instances where it's just like picking up the phone and seeing a number from a certain area. I have a panic attack. Um, mm -hmm. And somehow, like, through everything I've been through, I've been able to kind of work through it and calm down and mm -hmm. learn to, to tell myself what is a rational fear and what's an irrational fear. Uh -huh. Um, and I mean, there have been times I will be super, super, um, vulnerable and honest here. There have been times where I have wondered if I needed to step away from podcasting and helping Jeff run the network because it has been very difficult for me to sit down and do a podcast. Um, my anxiety just skyrockets and it, there's no reason it's just because the anxiety yeah. is there um, right so you know it's not that you're not loved amongst star trek to me that's just, that's not the anxiety issue it's everything else yeah star trek you know star trek is exactly. such a huge yeah such a huge part of my life and all of i mean it was the star trek community that that 
donated money to me so that I could move out and be safe. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I am stretching the truth when I say that if I had not been able to leave my home, I don't know if I would be here. Um, My partner was extremely hostile and volatile and had some extreme bouts of rage um, after I left, which I found out when I went back to the house. And anyway, side note. But uh, Star Trek and podcasting, like I love it so much. And I, I love not just podcasting, but, you know, helping Jeff run the network. I get mm-hmm. so much satisfaction out of out of watching our network grow and listening to every episode that our shows produce and seeing the passion and motivation of our hosts that really, you know, being a team and the way that we're a team and being a part of the Star Trek community um, is just, it has helped anchor me. It's helped tether me, as Ash Mm -hmm. Tyler would say. Um, it's, it's helped kept me tethered to reality and safety and happiness. And so, you know, in this, I totally get what you're saying, Shannon. And, Mm -hmm. um, I can see that with Saru and find a parallel there for me, um, as far as having been afraid and working through, working through these really anxious moments and, mm-hmm. and getting to a place where um, I'm still involved in part of a team and, and part of a leadership role. So right. like I told you last week, not on the podcast, but on Facebook was, you know, if you need to take time for yourself, you have to do that, you know, and, and they do that too, you know, story to yeah. sometimes help them really realistically. We're not characters. We have to actually do that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kirk, what about you? Uh, did Saru resonate with you on a personal level at all? Oh, I would say so. Uh, wait, before we get too much into this, can you hear me okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, glad to hear it. Uh, yes, certainly, very much, uh, especially with the fear aspect and how that may have been one of his driving forces, especially as the character developed. But also when it came time to take charge, that was, I mean, mean, Saru was a force of nature, I would say. And I I should hope that there's certainly something to aspire to, at least that I definitely look up to, Saru, just seeing when it was time to take command. He he did. He took command and he led the crew very well, I thought. Mm, Agreed. Agreed. He really set those fears aside and, and rose to the challenge. And then, uh, of course, we are Starfleet. That's one of the better moments in the in the sh- show, I would say. And uh, we were discussing that a little bit earlier, and oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, trying to find the exact moment because we could have sworn it was in his big speech. And then when I read the speech, it wasn't there. Uh, so we're just gonna remember that we are Starfleet was said and. <laughs> Um, as we said, that hit Twitter. I mean, I remember tweeting stuff about that. I and did. yeah, and in fact, I am using that as a spoiler. Like my, uh, I have a special pin for STLV um, that will include that. I don't want to totally give it away, but it's just it's such an extremely powerful statement and one that resonated among the fandom because you know we we all feel like that um and for a show that uh you know took a long time to get this crew together and to to gel and bond as they did that was just such a high moment and one that i think everybody agrees is very star trek oh for sure definitely so I don't know, is there anything anything else from this season that really stood out to you, Shannon? I'm just glad to see him evolve into, like, you know, well-rounded character because, like I said, I couldn't read him at first, which I'm sure that was on purpose because he was very structured. But, you know, you could tell by the end how much he cared about everybody and how much he just wanted to be the best person he could be. But he set aside all of his fears to be the best captain. So to me, that was... What stands out to me the most is he'll put aside whatever's going on with him to be in charge of everybody else. But that's what's best for everybody. Do you want to see him as captain next season? I would, but I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah. 
Ah, it's so hard to say. I just don't know. I don't know. Well, I, also don't see, I don't see Burnham as being his second in command either. Yeah, like I don't see her taking that place very well. Well, at least we have a so lot of questions going into season two. <laughs> uh, Kirk, what about you? Were there any standout moments for Saru that, that you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah, the, the first one that really comes to mind is that rather scathing remark he delivers to Burnham in episode, I guess it's technically episode three, Context is for Kings, mm-hmm. where he you know, says that he's going to do a better job taking care of his captain than Burnham did of, and at that point I was, after the battle at the Binary Stars, I was rather upset with Burnham, but that as soon as Saru says that cutting remark, suddenly I was all team Burnham. (laughs) It's like, hey, you don't, you don't get to say that. It was, I mean, that was a sick burn, I think is what they would call that. Burnham? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh my. Coin a new phrase. There you go. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's tough. I really, part of me doesn't fault him because of, you know, I just, what they've been through. And I mean, he was on the ship with Georgiou, just like Burnham had been on the ship with Georgiou. And I think it's interesting. One of the things we didn't really deep dive about with um, the relationship with Burnham was this sibling rivalry of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, once mom is gone, like Mira Georgiou doesn't really take, take the place yeah. of prime Georgiou at all. Like she does not yeah. play, even though technically she's, you know, Mira Burnham's mother, uh, she really doesn't play, play that role in any way between Saru and Burnham. There's no triangle with her. Um, whereas there definitely had to have been on the Shenzhou. And not not that she was a mom to him, but he obviously looked up to her a lot. He's, he's obviously loyal to whomever his captain is. Uh, because he was extremely loyal to Lorca. Mm-hmm. Despite Lorca's moves being questionable at times, I mean, he followed the orders and did what his captain said, uh, no questions asked, basically. Uh, so I. Uh, he did have misgivings. Though. I mean, he, he didn't know questions asked, but he obviously had problems with it. Like when they brought Burnham on, he's like, well, he'll do whatever he wants to do if he finds you useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I never, I always thought it was interesting when. Burnham didn't leave the shuttle like when he was pouring the salt into his tea and his mm-hmm. ganglia went up when mm-hmm. the shuttle left uh, mm-hmm. that he sensed someone was not yeah. on that shuttle uh, you know at that point he considered Burnham a threat uh, you know, ah, Burnham, I took it a different way oh really what, what was yeah. your interpretation he, he knew that the, something, somebody was going to die so he knew the shuttle was going to explode Okay. Yeah, no, I took it as somebody's not on the shuttle and that Burnham was still there. But I mean, who knows? Uh, Kirk, any other any other moments? It sounded like you had a couple others. Well, uh, in a similar vein, and not I know not to rag on poor Saru just because of all of all of his wonderful character development at the character he really becomes. But if he were half as good of as taking care of his captain as he seemed to think he was, then why didn't he notice that there was an imposter from another universe? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, he never probably knew the other Lorca, but that's still funny. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't have an answer Mm -hmm. for that one. I guess that he never, I think, I think I had heard or talked about somewhere that Lorca was never really the way that he treated the crew. Like he, he never really was a threat to killing. Like he wasn't like, you've disobeyed me. I'm going to murder you right now. He, Mm -hmm. yeah, he needed to utilize that crew as best he could um, for his mission. And so in that case, he really wasn't a threat. And, you know, (sighs) That's where it gets kind of murky as to what, 
how Saru works because it's not, he senses death. It's not necessarily that he senses danger. I That's think. true. But I think, I think it's a predator prey thing. So he'll sense like death, like you have the fear response kind of thing. Does that make sense that like he doesn't catch things that are like long-term dangers because it's a fight or flight thing. So if it's not right then, he yeah. may not know what's going on. Yeah. So that that's my best explanation uh, for all of that. Uh, anything else, Kirk? Oh boy, I'm I'm sure you <laughs> you must have already covered most of it. Uh, just how great the character development was, going from and and certainly his dr- dramatic change on transformation rather uh, with on Pavu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it a bit. Um, And I just said that, you know, I felt like a lot of people were very dismissive of the episode and even myself. I mean, I was somewhat dismissive, dismissive of it. Um, We were all shocked, I think, at the change in behavior. But then after my own life experiences, I I came to understand it uh, a lot better. And I feel that it revealed a lot about Saru. Certainly. Uh, Jeff, did you have any other standout moments for Saru? So, yeah, I think I think everything that I have written down here has been covered already, but I, I, I will throw out one thing that, uh, jumping back to the comparisons to Spock and or Data, um, I know that we're, a lot of us in the tra- Star Trek fandom are quick to try to draw those kinds of comparisons, but I, I must admit that when... I first started watching Discovery, I kind of drew that parallel to, oh, I guess Saru is going to kind of fill the Spock role, maybe. And I was I was glad that they actually took the time to make him a really unique character and not just model him after someone else that had been on a previous show and try to have him fit a predefined role and, and have him be a really uh, a character that grows into something that is completely unlike what your first impressions of what his role would have been um, would have been. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that's one thing that I, uh, that I really like about the character itself is that they developed him very well into something that really doesn't compare necessarily directly to other characters who existed before him in other shows. Yeah. In the true tradition of Star Trek, we have a completely original alien, uh, you know, the look and species and story and uh, I, I know that not everyone has read uh, David Mack's novel, Desperate Hours. It was the first of the Star Trek Discovery books that came out. And uh, I do recommend that everyone read it because it, it gives a little bit more background uh, about Saru. And in that book is where they interact with um, Captain Pike and the Enterprise and Saru and number one. Uh, develop a, a repertoire. They have to work together. And that was a very, very charming story. Uh, so I, I recommend reading it. I think that uh, the story is valuable. And then, like I said, I'm really excited to read Fear Itself when it comes out on my birthday. <laughs> Super excited. I was like, I was just silly. I'm thrilled when I found out that that's when it was going to arrive. Did you already order it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, I've already got my shipping update. Like (laughs) it's on time. So happy birthday to me. I will be diving straight into it. Uh, yeah, it's, it was just really shocking to me how, how much more I was able to resonate with Saru on a personal level after going through the life trauma I've been through in the last six months. Uh, but there's a silver lining for everything. And, and part of that silver lining is that I understand Saru a lot better and can identify with him. Um, regardless of, of all that, I still liked him. And I am excited to see what happens with the character in season two. And I, I just have to reiterate that uh, we should all be very, very grateful that Doug Jones is, is working yeah. on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, he is just phenomenal. And if you have not seen any of his roles, go watch them. Uh, Shape of Water just won the Oscar for Best Movie. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, it, just IMDb, go watch it all. It's worth it. Uh, so 
I think we're about at time. So let's go around the table and let everyone know where to find us on social media. Shannon, where can people find you? Well, on Facebook is um, Shannon Solver, which is, you know, that's pretty easy. I try to make it easy for people. Um, or on Twitter, it's Solver Law. But if you follow me on Twitter, you get Star Trek and political posts. So you know, <laughs> those are your choices. Which people seem to be find very funny at the convention. Like, wait, you're a lawyer and you post about Star Trek. I'm like, yes, I do. That's what I do. So. Of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Kirk, what what about you? Where can we find you on social media? Well, I can be found on Facebook, uh, Kirk Bayman. I'm also on Twitter at Bayman23. But my posts are mostly about Steven Universe and soccer. So if you're into that. <laughs> Steven Universe is good. <laughs> Jeff, where can we find you? Oh, I am Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter, and you can also find me on Facebook in our unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group that you and our wonderful friend Jesse Kendo also help administer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at LLA Posper, which is L L A P A W S P E R. And the show is disco underscore Trek. Our network is at Tricorder Show. We are the TricorderTransmissions.com. And like Jeff said, uh, the way to get on the show is to join us in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Keep an eye out for the Disco Trek posts. We would love to have everyone come join us as we continue to do these character deep dives. I will be posting on Twitter with some options for our next character choice. So I will leave it open for a while. Usually I do it for a day, but I'll do it for like a week so that more people (laughs) have time to go and Jeff better get this thing edited soon. Uh, (laughs) But um, in the meantime, again, feel free to find us on Patreon patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions get your exclusive pin on there and i think if you are going to stlv and you track Mm -hmm. down jeff and or myself we might have a disco trek pin Mm -hmm. to hand out this year yep (laughs) brand new it will have the disco trek art on it uh anyone who follows our network knows that we are pin crazy and uh (laughs) that's like our our signature gift uh so so track us down um and in the meantime we wish you all peace and long life live long and prosper yep yep see you out there